You know, normally on a, on a week when we have something so significant happen, I would probably revisit the sermon and do something a little bit different. But since I've been out of power and I already had a sermon written, we are going to stay with our, our sort of regularly scheduled program, so to speak. Um, and so we are going to go ahead and start out our Lent sermon series. And in this series, we are delving into the world that is behind and around Jesus just to try and better understand just some of the content text um, in which he lived and in which he taught so we can get a better sense for who he is and um, maybe some of the different things that his audiences would have um, been listening for or how they would have heard them. So we're going to start out this morning with just a very, very broad background. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. The place where I'm staying at my friend's house, I have three cats in this space that you can see. and um, one of them just ran onto the desk. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, I am going to be doing very, very broad background history, and I'm going to cover hundreds of years. Don't I hope I don't lose you with that. Um, we're also going to be touching on just the creation of Torah um, and a little bit of the early formation of Jewish identity. And what I'm hoping is that that will lead us into next week where I'll tell the story of the Maccabean revolt, which is the story that's told every Hanukkah by our Jewish friends. So for those of you who don't know, my undergrad degree is in history. And my, my dream for my life at that point was I wanted to be a history professor. And there were reasons that I didn't pursue that. The main one being I was told that I would probably never find a job in the niche place that I, bit of history that I was interested in. But because of that background and because like my favorite thing to read is still history, um, my instinct with sermons is that like talking about large swaths of history, um, one, it can be information overload. And two, there, you know, there's just a huge danger in boiling hundreds of years of history into 20 minutes or so, because obviously you lose all the complexity and you lose nuance um, in doing that. But Last October, Dr. Sarah Emanuel um, guest preached for two of our Zoom church services. And some of you may have heard her. She's a Jewish scholar of the New Testament um, with a, from a history in the history department at Loyola Marymount in LA. And so with her historian hat on, she was just encouraging our church. And um, even separately, we were having some talks, just kind of encouraging me to like use some of that framework and background that I have to do a little bit more of that from the pulpit anyway, instead of just using it as like sort of the framework that I use or the lens that I use through which I preach. So we're going to do that. We're going to give it a go. And I want to stay up front that I know not everybody loves history. I have a sister who would roll her eyes at me. But what I'm going to try and do today and next Sunday is talk about big picture history the way my favorite professor used to do it. And what she would do is she would come into the classroom, she'd write a few key terms on the board, and then she would say, let me tell you a story. So that's what I'm going to do. Let me copy and paste. Please don't get overwhelmed by all the empires. There's no test. <laughs> I put a list. I can put it in there later if, you, if you're chatting and that gets buried. But let me tell you a story. So a long time ago, in a land far away, there lived a group of people called the Hebrew people. And these people found themselves time and again, just tossed around and subjugated by the various empires of the ancient world. And the first world empire to subjugate them was the Egyptian empire. 
right? The empire of pyramids and pharaohs. And so the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people and they forced them to do hard labor. And after many generations of their sweat and their toil, the God of the Hebrew people, who was a creator God known as Yahweh, or I am becoming, this God sent a liberator named Moses to help them break free from their captivity. And standing in front of a burning bush, Moses told I am becoming that he couldn't possibly liberate his people from Egypt because he stuttered and he was insignificant. And God said, yes, you can. And he did. Hundreds of years passed by and eventually Moses's people settled into a part of the world that today we roughly know as Israel and Palestine. Much to God's chagrin, the Israelites eventually became a monarchy and they anointed a king and they built a palace and they built a gorgeous temple in the capital city of Jerusalem. And famous kings, they reigned on the throne of this ancient kingdom of Israel. Kings whose names we still know today, names that you probably know today. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, right? We know King Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. That's his reputation. And the, the world hasn't stopped talking about the glory of the temple that Solomon built and all of its splendor. And it was a, a temple that was so gorgeous that legend has it that the Queen of Sheba came to see it with her own eyes. Right? Today, that would be where the Dome of the Rock is in Jerusalem today, that big sort of gold dome. Right? This, this was the height of what was called the United Kingdom of Israel at its peak. And then after Solomon's death, his son assumed the throne. But during his reign, that kingdom split into two parts. And there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom with rulers whose names fill the books of kings and chronicles and many of the prophets in the Hebrew Bible. So the kingdom was split and generations passed. In the north and the south, they had their own kings and they had their own governments. And then a new world empire came onto the stage. It was the Assyrian Empire. I'll just call it Empire A. That'll make it easier. Empire A came up and they captured the northern kingdom. And they carried off many of the Hebrew people into exile, about 20% of the population. The people who stayed remained faithful to Yahweh. So did some of the others. Um, but the ones who stayed, their descendants eventually came to be known as the Samaritans, which is another story for another time. But that was the history of the North. Meanwhile, in the Southern Kingdom, which included Jerusalem, that carried on. However, another major empire was rising. This was the Babylonian Empire. We'll call it Empire B. And so now we've got Empire A and Empire B kind of clashing over the same region there. Right? And so we had this clashing of those two, and that clashing is an intricate tale with many years of overlap between these two rival empires. But eventually, Empire B sidelined Empire A, and the Babylonians came and they overtook Jerusalem. They burned the city to the ground, and that included Solomon's splendid temple, the one that the Queen of Sheba had come all the way from Ethiopia to see. They burned the temple to the ground, they destroyed the city walls, and they carried off a large number of the city's residents to exile in Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. So the north and the south, we see it had people carried off to different parts of the Near East. That's the point to remember here. 
that Babylonian rule of Jerusalem actually didn't last that long. It was only about one generation before Babylon was conquered by yet another major empire, the Persian Empire. And don't worry, you don't need to know that, right? But Cyrus the Persian swept through. He built a kingdom that stretched from Ethiopia to India. And I mean, it's just worth noting that it is very hard to live in a place that connects three continents, like where Israel and Palestine and Lebanon um, are today. You know, Africa, Asia, and Europe, these places all meet in that one area of land, and every empire wants to control the trade routes that go from here to there, which is why that area of the world has just constantly been overturned and overturned and overturned by the great major empires because they want to control the economics of the area and they want to be able to uh, move soldiers to and fro without as much trouble. Right, so here another empire comes and takes them over. What we should note here is that while the Babylonian rule was pretty short, this period of Jewish exile changed the history of the entire world. And you might wonder how, why was this different? Well, when the Persians came to town and they overtook the Babylonians, they decided that they were gonna let the Hebrew people go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. Right, so they carried them off and then they said, you know, you guys can go ahead. And so some of them did just that. However, some of the Hebrew people decided to remain in Babylon. And they did that because they'd settled down there and they built lives in that city, just like the prophet Jeremiah had recommended that they do. There's a, a really popular scripture from Jeremiah 2911. I'll put it into the chat here that you might know. As for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I think that's a, a scripture that's used all the time by Christians to encourage each other in our modern lives. And that's fine. That's it's a fine way to use scripture. Um, the verse was actually written for the people who were living in exile in Babylon. And I'm going to read the larger portion here from Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Right, so this was the prophet Jeremiah was talking to his people who had been roiled by many empires at this point. And he was telling his people not to give up hope, right? Just Try and live good lives where you're at, even though your lives are a little bit limited and they're harder in exile. And so some people took his advice, and I think that we can probably understand them. Right? If we had parents and grandparents who lived in a place, and maybe we had set up a small business, and we had a community that we knew, right, we might stay too. And so many did. And they formed um, a sort of expat community although expat is too modern of a term to really apply here, but that's the idea, right? The word that's often used is diaspora. 
So this was the beginning of what is known as the Jewish diaspora. In another part of the world, over in Egypt, there was a smaller contingent of Jewish people who had also created an expat community for reasons that are too complicated to delve into. But it's at this point in history that this term Jewish people um, started to be used. So I don't know if you ever noticed that when I preach, I tend to use the terms Hebrew people or Israelites prior to this point in history. So if it's anything before the Babylonian exile, because that's the more proper terms that were used, the words Jewish people started to be used um, after the Babylonian exile. And it was used to describe the people whose ancestors had come from this ancient united Israelite kingdom under King Saul and King David and Solomon. So they were realizing they had a common origin and a common religion. Um, and, and there was new language that was being formed around that. And so with so many Jewish communities that were then spread around the region from Egypt to Jerusalem to Antioch to Babylon, their leaders just started to ask, how can we maintain our identity in the absence of having like a common political framework? Like many of us are living under different empires right now. Um, how do we do this without a common language? Most of us are speaking different languages in our day-to-day -day lives. How do we do this without having common national institutions like the temple where we go and worship together? We're, we're spread out all over. We've got all of these different and growing cultural differences. And so a, a solution was devised by the leaders of the Babylon Jewish community. And it took the form of a book, which became the Torah. The Torah is just the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's sometimes called the law. So when you read in the, the Old Testament or even Jesus saying that the prophets, the law and the prophets, the law is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So they compiled this book. Um, this period and just after is when much of what we call the Old Testament, I think more respectfully, the Hebrew Bible, um, this is when much of that was compiled and written down. And there's not a 100% consensus among historians about exactly how this happened, um, exactly when, from exactly which sources. There had likely been many documents that had been preserved from the time of the Israelite monarchies that were used. Um, there were a lot of oral histories, and we know oral histories can be fairly accurate in oral cultures. Um, many decades of the last century, it was thought that there were probably four major sources for the Torah, J, E, D, and P. You do not need to know these. Um, but newer scholarship kind of leans toward two or three, depending on what you read and which scholar um, yeah, you are studying. But these sources um, were thought to be like compilations, different compilations of the various stories of the histories of the Hebrew people. And they, many of them contained similar stories, right? Because these were stories that were known among the people. And so what they, were, what they did at this time was they combined these different source materials um, and just like wove the details together. So it's, it's why you might notice things like there are two creation stories in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They're very similar, but there are some different details that are not insignificant between those two creation stories. Um, and the reason is because those come from two different source materials. Um, and so these were woven together to help create and form a common identity among Jewish people, right? In all of their locations, in all of the diversity, and to acknowledge this shared history and the shared religious tradition that could then be practiced anywhere in the world. And you know what? It worked. And it's still working.
right? So when the Jewish people were allowed to leave Babylon and return to Jerusalem to rebuild, they brought the newly compiled Torah with them, or else it came soon after, is somewhere in there. And the story of that return is told in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible, right? So when the book of Ezra describes, um, well, Ezra, because Ezra was the, the author of the book, um, Ezra was a priest. And when that book describes him as reading the Torah aloud to all of the people who had returned to Jerusalem, this may be describing the first time that Torah was read in its entirety in community in this way. Right, so Nehemiah and Ezra and the people that they led, they went, they read the Torah, they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. Now the temple they rebuilt could not compare to the glorious temple of Solomon, right? But some of the oldest people who were actually there with them could actually still remember the big glorious temple of Solomon from their childhoods. Um, so they, they, they didn't quite rebuild it to that sort of splendor, but what they rebuilt would do and then over the next decades, they set about rebuilding the city walls and the rest of what makes a city livable. And then about 200 years after that temple was rebuilt, um, for those of you who like dates, 333 BCE, Alexander the Great, you've probably heard of him, the really young Greek general, um, swept through and conquered that area at the age of 23. So now the Greeks have come to town. And that region then became flooded with Greek culture and that lasted through Jesus's time. So that very much um, stayed in that region up through the time of Jesus and the other New Testament writers. Alexander died maybe nine years later. He was really young. And then his empire was divided among his generals. And so much of what makes up the land that is now Israel and Palestine went to a general named Seleucus, and that became the Seleucid Empire. And that included Jerusalem, and it also included Babylon and the Jewish diaspora that was still living there. So we're going to leave our story um, with the Seleucid Empire occupying this area around Jerusalem, and we'll pick that up next week. But I wanted to take us to that point because it's under the Seleucids that the story of Hanukkah took place. And we won't be covering nearly as much history next week, but I wanted to give us a good background um, for talking about the importance and the significance of that particular event. And I know it's been a lot of information. It's a lot of information, especially if you're a person who's been without power for a few days and you're kind of in survival mode. Um, but the three things that I hope that we take away from it are these. One, that Jewish identity was shaped by people's continued oppression by large world empires, right? So just the Jewish, um, the Jewish religion and Jewish faith has been shaped by continued oppression. The second one, is just the importance of shared identity for sustaining oppressed peoples, right? That, that maintaining a sense of shared identity helps people survive. And specifically in this case, the, the deep importance of Torah to Jewish identity. Um, the temple also, but Torah even more so, since the Jewish people in Babylon and Egypt and elsewhere outside of Jerusalem, they couldn't worship at that rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And so Torah became integral to Jewishness, it still is. We know like in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is recorded saying this, I'll put it into the chat here. It says, do not think I've come to abolish the law, the Torah or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Right, so for Jesus, his Jewish identity 
right? Torah, so central to that, that was central to him and it was central to his teachings. And to understand Jesus, we have to understand that he was formed by his culture, which was formed by centuries of oppression. The third thing I want us to take away is that the God worshiped by the Jewish people is a God who sustains and encourages people through hard times, right? That this is a God who meets people in their suffering. We saw it with Moses in the burning bush. Um, we see it with the prophets, with Jeremiah encouraging his people, right? This is a God who time and again reveals themselves to be concerned about people who are going through hard times and who says, don't be afraid, I'm with you, you've got this, right? So I think with that, we'll, we'll hone in on that last point for our meditation. Um, just remember that God says things like, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope and a future. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just, let's just take a moment in silence and let the spirit encourage us, uh, maybe in, in specific places where we could really use a word of encouragement from this creator God. I'll let you know when the time is up. So creator God, we thank you so much that you are with us um, in every part of our lives and that you're with us uh, when we're going through hard times and when we're suffering and when we've had kids home from school for most of two weeks and when we're without power and when we're sick and through all of these different things that are going on in our lives. We thank you that your posture toward us humans is a posture of wanting us to thrive, of wanting good for us. Um, of wanting us to have hope and to think about our future with that hope. And so I ask that your spirit would continue to encourage us as we go through our weeks, that we could recognize that if we've got these voices in our, in our heads that are telling us negative things, that your spirit can help us counter that. We're um, saying, no, no, God is good. Um, God is with us. God has hope for us. And so we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the witness of the people um, throughout history who have testified to who you are and how you've been with them in hardship so that we can also take heart and take encouragement from that. In your name we pray, amen.